Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engines so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcaps. Registration is now open for our next event, the Planet Microcap Showcase, taking place in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe Hotel and Casino, formerly Bally's, on April 25 through 27, 2023. Expect three days of networking, company presentations, one-on-one meetings, in short, a lot of fun. If you follow our community and especially invest in microcap stocks, you are not going to want to miss this. Expect more announcements on speakers who may be there to pitch a few names, as well as the presenting company list. To register and attend, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Speaking of Vegas, we just announced initial speakers and sponsors for our event, a list that includes my guest today on the show, Andrew Walker, host of the Yet Another Value podcast. Andrew will be hosting three live podcast conversations, three separate guests with three different ideas being discussed. We are about two months away now, so be sure to register at www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Andrew and I also recently announced our collaboration on his show, Yet Another Value Podcast. I truly think that he is the best show breaking down investors' ideas. And in my opinion, in a world where there's enough guru-like podcasts out there, I think Yet Another Value Pod provides so much value as a listener to hear quality conversations about investment ideas. Today, we chat about working together, how this came about, our own takes on the financial podcast arena, kind of already alluded to my main take here, as well as a debrief on what he learned from his investment in Twitter last year, corporate governance takes based on a current idea Andrew is working on, and we close out on what to expect in Las Vegas for the Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas. So thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Andrew Walker. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. 
Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. How you doing, man? Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, should you refer to me today as producer Bob? I don't know. Like this is a whole you know, Bobby. Yeah. I, I don't know. We should we should really we should kind of figure this out now, I think. I like it. All right. Okay, we will. Well, we have a couple things that I wanted to talk about today. You know, on, on the agenda, um, you know, we made our announcement that uh, you know, yet another value podcast has joined the uh SNM podcast network. So we'll get talk a little details there and you know, kind of why why we we joined up. Um, you're also going to be hosting three, not one, not two, but three, uh, live podcasts, uh, at our upcoming Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas on April 25th through 27th. Those live podcasts will take place, uh, during our workshop on the 25th. And then thirdly, when we made the announcement, we had, uh, somebody write in like, Hey, you know, Andrew, you host the pod and everything. Give me a refresher on your strategy and your. We, we had one person write in with that question. Hey, that was a good question, though. You know, I thought, uh, why not? Um, so that's that's our agenda for anybody listening in. So uh, let's let's dig right in, Andrew. Where should we start first? Should we start with the with the work our way back, or should we start with the announcement? You know, I, I'm kind of most excited about the announcement, so I'd say <laughs> yeah, there. Too. But if you want to go the reverse, we can do the reverse as well. Now let's start with the announcement, man. So you know. Uh, as as I said, yet another value podcast has now joined the SNM Podcast Network. Andrew, from your perspective, you know why did you want to? Uh, you know what what did you see as the main benefit here? Well, you know I think we we started talking about doing something kind of together maybe six months ago, and then I, I probably dropped the ball a little bit on my side, and we just got busy. But I mean, one, you know, you, you and I not the best friends, but we've always been friendly, and it's always nice to work with friends. So that was. Uh, certainly one thing. And then two, you know, I, I think we both thought that if we work together, we could kind of take everything that both of us are doing to the next level. You know, for me, the podcast is a, it's a passion project. It's something I really enjoy doing. It's not my main job. It's not my day job. You know, I would be, I'm in a very small New York City apartment, but I would not be in a New York City apartment if that was my main job. So for me, being able to kind of take all of the stuff all the extraneous stuff and, you know, put it on producer Bobby's shoulders and just focus on the podcast, getting guests on, having the best guests, having the best idea, doing the research and then doing the rest of my life, which can be really involved with the podcast. But, you know, for me, I thought that made a lot of sense. I thought we could take the podcast to the next level. I think working together, we can take both of, take everything both of us are doing to the next level. So that was all the considerations for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, we're very much aligned in that sense, you know, from our perspective, you know, we focus specifically on microcaps, you know, that's our bread and butter. That's what I've been active in on the media side for the last 12 years, you know, and for me, it's also important because I recognize that there is some audience overlap that, you know, obviously, you know, there's some folks that are just focused on microcaps too, but, you know, also either dabble in small caps or that's their primary focus and they kind of, you know, dabble in the microcap land. So for me, I thought it was also really beneficial that we have something that 
provides more exposure to, you know, once you go 300 million in market cap and beyond. And, you know, it just so happens in the last year, you know, there's been a lot of these, uh, you know, yeah, two, about 18 months ago, there wasn't a lot of uh, 300 million and under. And now all of a sudden, everything's 300 million and under. I had a, I had a, one of my good buddies, uh, fund manager. He was like, you know, Bob, like, dude, I'm looking at all these former billion dollar names from last year. And it's just like a kid in the candy store right now, you know, in the 150 to 300 million range. The person who asked the question that we alluded to earlier, I won't call him out by the name, but I'm sure we know. And we can check if they're listening based on this. Him and I were talking the other day and he was like, yeah, I'm looking at this name. It's 200 million market cap. And I talked to like kind of a somebody would help you raise an SPV to invest in name. Like, oh, it's a great idea. But, you know, we really want to put 50 million dollars into a check. So like the company has to be a billion dollars or more so that we can put that big of a check. And the guy was kind of like, well, this was a two billion market cap company 18 months ago. Like you could just buy the same amount of shares that would have got you to 50 million, but you could buy it for five million today. But it makes total sense. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. So, and, and another reason, you know, Andrew, from, from our perspective is, and I don't know if you're seeing the same thing too, but this is something that I've noticed a lot within the financial podcast universe and, you know, um, investing podcast universe right now. At least for me personally, I want more actionable ideas, right? Like I want to, I want to listen to a podcast where I can hear, um, you know, good quality conversation about an idea. You know, um, you know, on our show, I don't, you know, everybody was listening for a long time. Like, I, I don't ask, you know, your best stock tip or anything like that. But you've, if you've noticed, even in 2023, like on our program, like I've been more on the timely news, like what's been happening in the last week. Like, let's have a conversation to talk about that. And then some of the folks that we've had on have also said, and here's an idea that kind of answers some of those trends that are going on right now. So that was another thing that I, I absolutely I've been seeing and on the trend side. And then when it comes to actual podcasts that are doing that, I thought yet another value podcast, one, you've been doing it for a while and two, I think are the best in the game at it. You know, I don't know if you're what, what I mean, what, from your perspective, you've been seeing kind of some similar trends. No, look, I appreciate that. I mean, what I have always wanted in a podcast, I guess, you know, just to back, I, I launched the podcast in August, 2020. And it was kind of as I, after five months of COVID at that point, I was going crazy, just like stuck in my apartment. And the first five or six episodes, I did like 30 minutes of background with the guest and then 30 minutes of a deep dive into idea. And as like, I got a little less COVID crazy, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, the 30 minutes with the background of a guest, not that it's not interesting, but for me, like I, it's just, it's not what I like to do in the podcast. I, I listened to a couple others where people were interviewing. I was like, every podcast has this. I don't think I added any differentiation. What really worked for my life and where I thought I could add value, as you were saying, was just talking about somebody with an idea, providing them with some pushback uh, to, so that they can express how much work they've done on it by responding to the pushback. And, you know, for me, it's just my it's my idea generation now, right? I, I have a really smart guest who comes on. They generally have invested pretty heavily in the name, right? It's generally fund managers or people who write substacks but manage a PA. They've invested and they're telling me, hey, I'm a sharp guy. I've got my money behind it. So it just like really helps me ramp up my research for my own things. And then, yeah, in terms of if people want it or not, I I think it's getting a little more popular as we kind of fade out. You know, I in late in early 2021, all through 2021, people wanted growth, right? They wanted you to come on and in five minutes say, this company is going to grow a lot. They're a compounder, SaaS, TAM, and I think people kind of wanted quick gains or flips, meme stocks. 
And I do think as we get a little more rational, like it's almost like the value investors are the only people left. Not that all, all investing can't have a place, but I think people are a little bit more willing to stop considering like the risk in investing has come back in a big way over the past 12 months. And hopefully a deep dive into a stock can help people think through both the risks and opportunities. And not that investing won't always involve work. Like you got to do the work. You got to always do your own due diligence. Even if you listen to an hour pod, you know, with, you know, quality well, back and forth. You know, I think that's the disclaimer we put at the start of every of podcast. I hope everybody's doing that. No, of course. But at the same time, like a lot of, you know, maybe more passive. This is going to sound crazy when I say this, but hear, hear me out on this phrase. Passive stock pickers. You with me on this? Passive stock pickers. It's it's the ones that will still be stock pickers, but maybe don't do as much of the deep dive. Maybe they'll, you know, listen to a pod, whatever, and then maybe do a little bit and then, you know, do a starter position and then hopefully do more work and build up if, if it's a quality position. But especially when I see in microcaps and just in general investing audiences, you know, the, people want things to they, they want not the easy route, but easier. It's like, OK, I can listen to an hour pod and. You know, wow, that was a lot of information on an idea. Maybe that I heard elsewhere that, you know, now now I'm hearing a lot more information that or at least I can go to the sources that this person is saying that they got to understand the thesis a little bit better. But I, I mean, everybody can use the, the pods in a different way, right? Like they're sure. free products. I can't. But my hope in the people who I think get the most from the podcast are the people I mean, not that you can't be a closet indexer. I've heard from people who run, you know, they, they're at big family offices and they mainly allocate and they just like hearing people talk about ideas like they've got a passion. Everybody's got passions for different things. You can listen to it. But I think the people who like the podcast the most and really the target audiences, people who are going to do deep fundamental work on an idea and in an hour long format that they can listen to at the gym, on a walk to the office or anything, they can hear the idea kind of buttoned up uh, in a pretty nice way, risks addressed, opportunities addressed. And then they can go spend the next two, four, six hours, days, weeks, whatever their process is, diving into it and kind of, you know, trust but verify, building up their own conviction in the idea, seeing if there's anything, hopefully between me and the guests who's put money in it, we, there's no like obvious risk we've missed. But, you know, maybe they identify some risks, some things they're not uncomfortable. But hopefully it's just part of everyone's idea generation. Absolutely. Look, I, I'll be the first to admit as as a former passive stock picker, I've that's where I've lost my shirt. Right. You know, uh, because I'm, I'm buying off somebody else's conviction, you know, and I, or I was the first seller. You know, it, it's something I, I've had a few times in my career, right? I, I have this great idea and I size it wrong. You know, I, I put 2% of my portfolio in it and then a guy writes me and it, it becomes pretty clear quickly. He hasn't done as much work, but he's put 20 or 30 or four, 200% of his portfolio in it. And the idea works. It's a home run. And the guy makes a ton of money, a lot more than me. And it's one of those things where you're like, oh, it's investing so unfair. But like the thing about investing is if the idea went differently, like I can't tell you how many times I've had a podcast, the stock goes down 20% in the next two months and people write me, they say, oh, I lost my shirt, but I quick flipped out of it. And then over the next year, the stock doubles, right? So if you had just held it, you would have made 60 or 80%. And the fact is like, if you don't do the work and you don't have the conviction, you're probably going to make the wrong decisions, right? So yeah, maybe you might get lucky and it'll go up a lot, but if it starts going down, you're probably just going to sell and you just, you don't know the right thing to do, right? If stock goes down 20%, if you've done the work and there's news out, you'll know, is it time to buy more? Should I hold? Should I sell? Somebody who hasn't done the work probably makes the wrong decision at that point. Dude, you know, it'd be really fun to do a cool project for us. 
I love to create an index around all the ideas that have been pitched on the pod and just see see the the performance. That would be super interesting. I'm sure you've thought about it. So I, I've seen it a few times. You, you know, the tough thing with it is, I think in the end, it comes out to about market average because the fact is you do 150 podcasts, 150 names are pitched. Uh, it, that does come out to average, even if everybody is pitching on them. It is, uh, yeah, so I've thought about it. And then the other thing is, you know, sometimes I'll have somebody comes on and in June of 2022, they pitch Twitter, right? In the next four months, Twitter's either going to get bought by Elon Musk or Elon Musk's going to walk. You can really solve that. You can really solve for that. Somebody comes on in February of 2020, in February of 2022 and pitches Google, right? Over the next year, Google's down 15%. Was that a loss because it was down 15%? Was that a win because the NASDAQ was down 25%? Is it too early to tell? Because they were, you know, if you're pitching Google, you're probably pitching it on like a three to five year time horizon. So it gets really tough. But yeah, that, I, I have thought about it. And every now and then I've had people come on and it, it, like put together the indexes. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, the stocks are crushing the market. I'll be like, well, there's a lot of things in there that uh, it aren't, you know, it's too early to tell. Or you're, you've got like three ideas that were pitched in the past two weeks that are up a little bit that are influencing it. Or they'll be like, oh, it's getting killed by the market. I'll be like, well, you know, you're kind of evaluating things on different levels. But yeah, it's just tough. For sure. By the way, that seems like forever ago when you were, because I think we talked before your Twitter, um, when you were covering it on the blog and stuff, right? That seems like, how long, how, geez, that, that, that seems like a, a decade ago, that whole situation. I, you know, it's funny, like for, for four for four months, all I was waking up, like every day I'd wake up, I'd think about what Elon Musk could do to Twitter. And I, I still miss it. I'm like an addict. I miss all the Twitter news flow and following Elon's account and everything. I was going to say, man, like now that in post uh, Twitter escapades and everything that happened there, you know, um, when you think back on that experience, you know, what are some of your lessons learned from that investing journey? A, for the next two weeks after that deal closed, I would email uh, everybody who I was like talking to daily and be like, man, investing's boring now. Like we were checking Elon's feed and you were getting like uh, and Larry Ellison text messages to it. Like it, it, it's just boring uh, coming off that high. But no, look, in hindsight, you know, it's really tough. It was in hindsight, it was, I said at the time, this is the best merger we're ever going to see, right? This is, it was buttoned up. The case law was settled. Uh, the contract Elon was absolutely dead to rights. If you were following, if you were following the case, he had no shot. Uh, you could listen to the judge. You know, the judge was fantastic. She remained very neutral, but every now and then something like would come out that was so bad for Elon, even the judge would say something. And, you know, me and non-lawyer would be like, oh, that sounded kind of weird. And then lawyers who had experience with judges would be like, oh, my God, she just lit them on fire. But, you know, takeaways from it, I think the first was things can get pretty scary and pretty volatile, right? Like you're dealing with unknowns, unknowns, billions and billions of dollars on the line. Uh, Elon, it was scary. There were some things in there, like nobody saw the Twitter, the Twitter whistleblower, which was a bunch of nothing. But in the moment, that was scary. At the end, there was the scare where there was a Cepheus worry. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but like two days before Elon was supposed to close, there was worry that the U.S. government was going to block it because they thought Elon Musk was an agent of Russia. Like, you know, when you get at that level, just like scary things can happen. But I, I think the that was one, just scary, random things happen. You have to build that in. But the other was, you know, I would always build my models out. And Kelly Criterion generally, generally isn't great in investing because there are really fat tails in investing. You don't have perfect information. But here it was either Elon closes Twitter and we get 5420 or Twitter's this flaming dumpster fire. A Kelly Criterion model, whenever I would run it, would tell me like, hey, put all your money into this, then borrow as much money as you can and put all of that into it. 
then sell your dog and sell your kidney and take that money and put it into Twitter. And like, you know, in hindsight, I kind of wish I'd swung harder. And I do think one thing that a lot of people who probably traded it better than me were did was they waited for like the kill points. Like I think of my friend, Jeremy Raper, and he really waited until some, uh, he always thought the odds were, he always thought Twitter was going to win, but where I believe he really swung was a couple court cases came out and those things happened where the judge like really rebuked Elon or evidence really came out against Elon. And that's when he said, look, all the cards have been dealt. I know what to do. Now I'm swinging hard. So, you know, just like kind of waiting for the pitch. I don't know. I'm all over the place. It was a great experience. No, that was, that, that was great. Um, no, I, I, it's funny. I wanted to talk to you about it at the time, but I figured you're like, all right, we need to let the dust settle to like, not just for once it all closes, but then also to just take some time to really reflect and be like, all right, man, that was an experience. And also, yeah, just now post that it's like investing. Where do you go from here? Like not all the time do you get this kind of action or maybe even ever again in your career. Who knows? Yeah. Look, that, that was, it, it's, I not to get too much into portfolio sizing, but I had a big position in Twitter, but you know, in hindsight, if I was going around telling everyone, this is the best merger we're ever going to see, it probably wasn't big enough. And you know, a lot of the arguments against Twitter. So there, there were a couple of things. Like one thing I, I have talked to my partners and I, I can get a little wonky. So you can stop me if I'm, but one thing that I would always say was, look, Twitter was at $40 per share. If Twitter won, you were going to get $54.20. And if Twitter lost, you were going to get Twitter standalone value. And most banks that I saw thought Twitter standalone value was about 25. So the, the upside downside was actually pretty equal, right? Twitter loses, you lose 15. Twitter wins, you make about 15, let's call it. So it's 50-50 in the market. And one thing that I regret is I always thought, you know, most uh, event desks I saw would say, oh, Twitter's like 50% to win or 60% to win. I would always say, I think Twitter is 98% to win on the facts as I see them. However, I also think if Twitter loses, Twitter's going to $10 per share, right? So I was way higher than the markets go through. I was way lower than the market on the downside. I wish I had played it more in options than by buying the stock. And, you know, I think that would have been a very eloquent, eloquent way to express my views. And maybe I'm just saying that with hindsight bias, right? Because if it had lost... I would have rather pay through equity than options because the options go to zero. But I think that's uh, one thing it taught me. You know, the other thing, when you would talk to people, very few people would argue the merits of the case against Twitter. Most of the people would just argue, oh, it's Elon Musk and he can get away with anything or this Twitter board is weak and will fold. And, you know, boards are weak. We can talk about microcap boards. I'm involved in one right now where I, I think the board is quite, uh, quite weak, but you know, the board had already shown they were willing to take Elon to court. It seemed like they were willing to go all the way. And when your bear case is, hey, no laws apply to Elon, eventually that's going to be no laws apply to anyone. Like you can stop doing merger ARB and you can stop investing because if you can't trust contracts, then none of this works. Right. So I, you know, ultimately I thought it was pretty important that Twitter won. That's a really good point. Hey, going on that boards uh, side of things. I mean, that that's something that uh, we always love talking about here on Planet Microcap because that can sometimes make or break quite a few, even even high flyers or quality companies. I mean, you were talking. You don't yeah. have to name. You don't have to name the name right now, but I mean, you know, when you so, see, go just go. Yeah, yeah. So look, maybe you'll have to have me on in two months when we see how this plays out a little bit because I I don't want to publicly call them out while I'm privately trying to deal with them. But I, I, I've been working on a post and I'll, I'll kind of run through some uh, high level things with you. I call it kind of Warren Buffett said maybe 10 years ago, and I hate to be that guy who quotes Warren Buffett, but I thought this was such a great point. And it's really come to mind as I've tried to work with uh, this board. 
called it belching in the boardroom, right? He voted against, I don't think he was on the Coke board at the time, but he voted against Coke's compensation policy. And he just, I think he just abstained because he's Warren Buffett, but he knew that by doing that, he would put a lot of pressure on the board to change their compensation policy. And honestly, like people think compensation policy is minor, but the incentives drive the outcome. And Buffett, when people asked him why, he said, well, look, I've never voted against one of these. I've been on boards. I'd love to vote against some of them, but you can't belch in the boardroom too much, right? If you start belching in the boardroom, no one will listen to you. No one wants to go on boards with you. And he's probably right. But at some point you do need, if the board is not acting in the interest of shareholders, you do need a little belching. So why do I mention that? I'm working with a company right now. They're very small. We have a significant investment in them. I think they have nice assets and I think the assets would be a logical acquisition candidate and would go for multiples of what this, not multiples, would go for a big premium to what the share price is worth. Uh, the issue here is shareholders would be best served by a sale, but the board I view is quite weak. And it's not that anybody is incompetent. I mean, maybe I think a couple of them are in over their skis, but it's not that they're incompetent or they're trying to be evil, but the board owns no shares, right? And when you get 300000 per year in board fees and you own stock that is worth $6,000 and all that stock was given to you for being a director, you know, like your incentives are naturally don't sell the company, even though that would be best for shareholders, because we make more from board. Like the only reason you're certain, why do you serve on a board? If you're a big shareholder, it's because you want to maximize the value of your, of your investment. If you're not a big shareholder, it's because you want prestige or you want the fee stream, but either one of them goes away if you sell the company. So you've got this misalignment of shareholder interest. I guess going back to the belching in the boardroom, I kind of probably approached this wrong where I came in initially and said, we're big shareholders. This is a problem. And I started belching instantly. And I think the board uh, kind of took offense to that. But look, I, as I told the board in a private email, I said, hey, this is a board that needs belching. You guys have been in control, some of you for over five years. Some of you have gotten paid millions of dollars in compensation and you own $10,000 in stock. Like we've seen what you want from this company and it is a board seat and it is a fee stream. You need somebody who's going to come in and uh, kind of, focus on shareholder value because now is the time for the company. They're at kind of like a critical period where they're about to have a big influx of cash. It's pretty critical that there's a shareholder who's focused on maximizing value, not a kind of crony who's focused on maximizing board fee streams at that point. You better be careful. You're about to become executive chairman potentially of a company here. Uh, well, <laughs> your, su- your suggestivism is is slowly creeping to activism. No, so the, the burping in the board fee thing was I started saying this about six months ago. And then uh, I I don't, I want to be a little careful what I say, but basically I called out a couple of particular directors who had, you know, made millions of dollars. And every time the stock hit their account, they sell it for cash and they've been here for five years. I was saying, what is the point of this person who has no industry experience, who's supposed to be an investor, who every time stock hits their uh, account, they're selling it. They're they're just here for the cash. There's no reason for them to be on this board with that with their skill set with that. And uh, I talked to the board, the nominating committee, and they, uh, it, it, I hadn't thought about this before, but the guy who I was directly criticizing was on the nominating committee. And as soon as he, as soon as the call started, he was like, "I've been looking forward to this." I was like, "Oh God, this is going to be a disaster." Yeah, he might. Is is he a cousin of the uh, chairman or, or a, no in law? <laughs> he's. It's kind of a legacy situation where I believe the former controlling shareholders put him on the board and they left. And I, I've called it internally, the inmates are running the asylum. And that's mean. I, that's just like, you know, it's a pithy way to say it. But 
it was a board that had they had a controlling shareholder who owned 30 percent of the shares. The board was put around, you know, when you've got a controlling shareholder, what they say goes. This board was put in place around that controlling shareholder. And then the controlling shareholder leaves. So all of a sudden you've got all the remaining board members are on there. And the person who they were kind of put there because they had relationships with, who because they uh, supplemented their skills as well. Those people are gone, right? So now you've got these guys who are like, oh, well, we're in charge of this multi-million dollar company. We're getting $300,000 per year. Our controlling shareholder is gone. Like, what do we do? We're just maximizing our fee stream, right? Bro, you got to get Adam Epstein on the case, man. He'll 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 get after it for sure. Who's that? Adam Epstein from Third Creek Advisors. He wrote the book on corporate uh, governance. I might, uh, I, I might have to talk to him because it's, uh, it's getting, you know, it's been unfortunate because we're, we're a little past, I, I don't want to say, but I, I will talk to him. I, I've been talking to a lot of people about what to do. He's, he's the best. I mean, I, he's, he's the guy I always turn to when it comes to corp, corp stuff. Um, but anyways, it, kind of wrapping, wrapping this up because I didn't want this to, you know, listen, we we're probably going to do a bunch of these over, over, over the course of time and, you know, talk about current events and everything like that. And I think we could do one pod specifically just on corporate governance and your experience there. So we'll probably, we'll cross that bridge once everything gets settled there and you can publicly talk about it. Um, but one other thing I talked about at the top in terms of our agenda was your investing process your strategy and stuff like that. But I'm going to alter the question that makes it more specific to what you do with the podcast. You know, for you, what makes a good pitch? You know, when you have somebody coming on the pod and you're going through the idea, you know, what do you more often than not, you're like, okay, maybe that was a good conversation, but I'm probably not even going to look at that idea versus, hey, that was a really good conversation. You know what? I think I will look more into that idea. You know, that's a really good question. Uh Great question, producer. Listen, Bob. I ask them every once in a while. Every once in a while. It's rare. Uh, you know, for me, probably, I think a lot of people, people listen to the podcast. I try to have all types of investments, right? And some people really like, hey, this is a company. It trades for 20 times EPS. It's going to grow above market growth for the next 10 years. You know, it's the Costco. It's Costco. This is a great company at a good price. You buy it. And those are fine. I like to learn a little. I, I like to learn those. That is not a company I'm probably going to buy. I tend to be more eventy, or I tend to be like more. I think the pitches that really get me excited are where the person can either identify a catalyst or an inflection point for the company, or they can point to something specifically that the market is missing and the market is worried about that they think is not a big deal. You know, like uh, the the classic one I come back to is. <laughs> it's round trip. So maybe it wasn't, but you know, cable in 2016 and 2017, if you remember, uh, actually it might've been a little earlier that, but cable had video, right? Your old cable bundle. They charge you a hundred dollars per month. You get ESPN, you get ABC, and then they had broadband. And in 2015, 2016, the market was freaking out that video was going away. You know, the cable bundle was dying. And if you really looked into the number and you talked to industry people and the cable companies were screaming at the time, they would say, hey, uh, video does not matter for us. It is not a pro- it is really not a profitable company. It is not a profitable product for us. If you went and looked at Cable One, which was a spinoff from the Washington Post, they spun off their much smaller cable company. And every cable company said video doesn't matter, but Cable One had actually proved it out. They spun off in about 2012 and they said video doesn't matter. We're going to show you. We're de-emphasizing it. We're not. E- we're basically not even going to sell it anymore. And they were insanely profitable. So you had 
a company that had already proven it out. Every management team was saying, hey, this doesn't matter for us. But the market, you know, if if Charter or Comcast reported, they said video subs were down 100,000 instead of up 100,000. The stocks would drop 5% in a day, right? And I think a great pitch for my podcast would be somebody coming on and saying, hey, the market is only concerned about video. Video doesn't matter. And here's why. Uh, you, you know, I can't think of a specific one in the very recent past that's had that, but that's one pitch I love. Another pitch I love, you know, uh, our friend Euro Neymark just came on and he was pitching IWG and he was pitching, hey, it is at an inflection point for two reasons. Number one, you know, they are flex office space. Office was devastated by COVID. And for the flex guys, it takes about a year for that to start reflecting. They're just hitting the point where they're inflecting upwards again, right? Where the operating deleveraging is stopping and they're hitting the operating leverage. Number two, they're going to a franchise business. The franchise business you sell it up front and it doesn't make a huge impact on your bottom line immediately. But, you know, after you sold a thousand or two of them, these are really high margin projects. And he made the case for why that was inflecting and why they had advantages for doing that. And the market seems to be missing both. So that was one I really liked recently. Very good. All right. I think, I think this is a good place to close it out. So um, we talked about, I think I think we pretty much hit on everything we wanted to discuss today. Close it out. You know, again, you're going to be in Vegas doing three yeah, live. Look, we're, we're going to do, uh, yeah. I think we're going to aim for three podcasts in Vegas. It should be a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, if anybody, you know, if any listeners have suggestions for, I don't think we've lined up the guests for it yet. So if any listeners have suggestions for the guests they want to see, the ideas they want to see pitched, anything like that in the Vegas podcast, we're, we're always all ears. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, we haven't lined up specifically anybody yet. And it could be a microcap idea or another one that, you know, is, is very interesting. Yeah. I'm so. sure people want to go to planet microcap and hear uh Verizon, Google and Microsoft pitch. So of course, yeah, no doubt. We'll try and do stuff edgier than that, but yeah, like, I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think a lot of the people I know who are going invest across all spaces. So, you know, if we can That's get sure. uh, a couple of edgy small caps, a uh, microcap, whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that. How about a pre-rev uh, biotech? Why, you know, why not? A pre-rev biotech. Those are what I like to call cash boxes, and I'd rather <laughs> see them in liquidation than actually investing. Uh, <laughs> but no, look, you know, there are a lot of, you say that jokingly, but right now there are a lot. The biotech index was demolished last year, Killed. and there are a lot of interesting last companies. Two I mean, years. I more, look, go ahead. I was going to say last two years. Last I more look at them from a, hey, they're trading for less than cash. Can we liquidate angle? But a lot of them have liquidated over the past couple of years. And the investors who've identified the liquidations and bought them early or, you know, sometimes bought them late. You can make pretty attractive returns from them. And uh, the ones who maybe they're not liquidations, but you'll see a couple companies like Ocular. I don't know if you've looked at them. OCUL. Mm -hmm. That's been, uh, you know, it's a 3X so far this year. People were trading them. Like they all their drugs were worthless. They've got a really interesting eye drug. They're starting to talk about partnerships. Like if you can identify the right ones, those things can uh the the, the returns can be enormous. Absolutely. Hey, real quick disclosure: Do you own the IW, IWG that you talked with your own about or OCUL? I do. I do. Uh, IWG. I've been buying as recently as this morning, and then <laughs> Ocular. I mean, it basically rounds to zero, but it, you got like the the classic tracking position there. Gotcha. All right. And by the way, we're recording this on a, a Friday, February 24th, 2023, just for all reference. Well, with that, Andrew, where can our audience go and follow you on social media as well as listen to the podcast? Yeah. So uh, I'm on Twitter, Andrew Rangely. That's range like a driving range. L-E-Y is my Twitter handle. And then the podcast, yet another value podcast, yet another value blog. You can Google them, find them on Spotify, 
YouTube. If you want to see Penny, you can find it on YouTube, all those types of places. Good stuff, dude. All right, Andrew, I'm excited about our partnership. It's really a lot of fun already so far. I'm excited for the future for it. And uh, again, everybody listening in, go and check them out. Um, It's really some of the best quality content in general, not just for finance and investing. Go check it out. Andrew, always a pleasure, man. Have a good weekend. Thanks for having me on, Bobby. Later. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.